0: And Welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today, I'm here with Roman Balin. He is the founder and CEO of Doodilio. Thank you for being on the show today, Roman.
1: Thanks for having me. Awesome
0: to be here. I was just telling somebody, we were at an event this morning and I told them who I was going to interview. Is, and he's like, you haven't interviewed him yet? Like, yeah, I know. So uh, sorry, I haven't had you on the show sooner. You've been in the in those space. You got some cool newsletters. You got doodilio. And when you popped up on the screen, I was like, I had to go back and like, is this a re-interview? Like, Did I forget I've interviewed the guy? Like wow, how did I miss that in the first round? Because I lined up the people I really wanted to get in front of in the first round, and we did a bunch of Walker Dable and a bunch of the guys out there who got books out, and the guys putting content out. And I know yeah. I've we've actually featured some of your content and stuff as the people to follow in our the hub newsletter so you've been featured a couple of times like hey you should probably follow this guy he's got great content i know you've been in that realm but i was like i can't believe i haven't interviewed you yet so apologies and here we are
1: all good no it's great to be here better late than never and i know there's a lot there's a long line of people before me so i get it i get it
0: it wasn't intentional <laughs> i was like it's like you slipped through the cracks somehow the source <laughs> of great knowledge that isn't necessarily i guess it's a good thing because some of the guys that are constantly in your face the content's not as good Anyway, they're more trying to sell something they are than they are producing right. that great stuff. Yeah. So, let's start off with your origin story, man. How did you get involved in mergers and acquisitions? My running joke, if you listen to the show, is you were born, and now you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisitions. Can you fill out the gap in between?
1: Yeah. I'd say uh, strictly by accident, yeah. I started my career, traditional finance. I was an investment analyst, for about 10 years, did investment banking for one year, and then I started my own business selling alternative data to hedge funds and ran that business for a couple of years, sold it. And I think that's the thing that really got me interested in small business M&A because kind of in the investment world, you're certainly exposed to the bigger mergers, right? When Pfizer buys some company or Coca-Cola does a billion dollar merger, but I didn't really have exposure to like the smaller deals. And I Mm -hmm. think having my own little exit and it was nothing life-changing anything like that but just having that small exit got me interested in small business m&a and the best way to learn about something is a go do it yourself B write about it so that's what i did after i sold my business i was kind of trying to figure out well what do i want to do next and really wanted to dive into and learn more about the space and so I bought like a personal small personal branding business, ran it for a little bit, sold it and started the newsletter of the business inquirer. I've been doing it for 3 years now. If you go back to like the first issue, it's gonna look nothing like today, but it's a great creative outlet. It's a great chance to view a lot of deals and kind of interact with a lot of people. So, started doing that and through the newsletter I had people ping me, asking me, hey, do you know anyone that can help me analyze this deal or do tech due diligence on software acquisition? And that's kind of where the light bulb went off. And I thought, well, I'm getting enough of these pings from folks. Why isn't there an easy resource, an easy marketplace for this? Yeah. And that's where the idea for the Dilio came from. So yeah, it's kind of an accidental journey.
0: I get it. That's kind of how I ended up. Like the show has sponsors, but the way I monetize it, and just in full disclosure, the way I monetize the show is like people reach out to me all the time and go, Hey, do you know a guy? So I actually have it jokingly, I have a database called "Know a guy database. It's kind of a yeah. CRM where I match like people who I know that I trust would give yep. great service. I've already, maybe I've interviewed him, maybe I've worked with them in the past or something like that. Or I've worked with somebody that worked with them and I'm fairly confident they got this down. And then the people who need stuff and I match them up on there. Most of the money is done from a referral. So it's, I don't do like a lead generation where they pay me for the lead. So it's not like a, what do they call it? Those guys that bug me, Angie's List or those type of things. I own a pest control company still in Oklahoma where I still have interest in one and they constantly bug me, call me, (laughs) trying to sell me leads. So it sounds like you've got a bigger network. So tell us what Dudilio is, like kind of the, give us the definition of what it is and what it's become.
1: Yeah, so super high level, it's a marketplace. It's a marketplace or a network, however mm-hmm. you want to call it, of highly vetted due diligence service providers. So, includes M&A attorneys, financial due diligence, technology due diligence, commercial operations, whatever you need. We've built this network over the last couple of years. I think over 200, maybe even 250 service providers at this point. And the way the process works is a business buyer would come to us, wants to have an LOI in place. And Mm -hmm. once they submit an LOI, the LOI is accepted. They're on to the due diligence phase. They would come to us, tell us about their transaction, what kind of business they're buying, tell us about their needs, their budget, things like that. If they don't know their needs or budget, they can just reach out and we'll help them figure it out as well. A lot of first-time business buyers just don't have kind of that experience or that understanding of exactly what's available and what they need. So once we finalize their project scope for the diligence, we'll match their project against our database of service providers and then collect proposals for their project. So within about two business days, we'll collect all those proposals share them with the client, and the client will obviously answer any questions, but then the client will tell us who they would like us to connect them with. So typical kind of marketplace business model, our services are free to use for clients. We'll get paid a referral fee if the client ends up hiring someone through us. Not a pay-to-play system, so the service providers in our network, they're the best of what they do right. so they, they don't have to pay us a monthly fee it's nothing like that they get paid we get paid that's it
0: so that's cool is it primarily uh, you named it due dilio. is it primarily around the different elements of due diligence
1: primarily around due diligence that's exactly right. that's where i see the biggest need and i know due diligence is a pretty it's a pretty broad term well, certainly we connect people with A attorneys that are not necessarily due diligence. They'll help them draft an LOI, negotiate closing, things like that. But where we really shine is due diligence.
0: Yeah. So one of the newsletters I have was the deeper and all it is. It's this show plus a deep dive. So it's this show written in story formats for the people who don't have a chance to sit here and listen to an hour. I convert it into a story the best I can. My article writers and some tools I use, they listen to it and then write a story about it. It used to be just kind of like a synopsis or a summary, but now it's like in story format. We're trying that out. And then there's a deep dive. And I think a lot of people misunderstand how broad due diligence truly is. My deep dives are typically 2,000 to 3,000 words. So they're pretty right. in-depth. It took a three-part series of due diligence. Three different days or three different, it's a weekly newsletter, so three different weeks we covered part one, part two, and part three. And a lot of people don't realize, like that when I started looking at it, there were 10 elements of it. It's not just the finances, it's not just the legal, there's human resource stuff. There's all kinds of stuff that needs to be looked at depending on, on the size of the deal.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think, I think on our website, I think we have over 25 different options for mm-hmm. what someone can select for different types of due diligence. Yeah. Even something like a background check. That's part of due diligence.
0: Yeah. But uh, so somebody's out there, they're working on a deal. They get stuck or they like, okay, I need a team for this. This isn't a, one of these deals where they like, I got low money down. The owner's going to carry all this. I'm putting personal guarantees. I've raised money. I've committed money to investors. I really got to do my homework and make sure everybody's covered. Let's build a team around this. You actually have the resources to say, okay, this is the team you should build. Do you give anybody any insights into like how to select team members? like what, are, what questions yeah. they should, I know you do your pre-vetting, but there's mm-hmm. questions they should ask, right? To make sure it's a right fit for them.
1: Yeah. So first of all, we have a lot of content
0: on our website and
1: our knowledge center. I think one of the articles is just 10 questions you should be asking. And we always recommend speaking to at least two service providers before making a final hiring decision, because there's a lot of service providers that look good on paper, but maybe you don't have a good Rapport, maybe the communication style is off. And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, right? Just like certain deals are right for certain people and they're not gonna be right for others. And that's the same thing when you hire someone. They might have the right skill set, but listen, you wanna make sure they're on the same page as you. So that's why for a typical project, we would present maybe five to 10 proposals. So if you need a quality of earnings, you'll get five proposals. If you need a MA attorney, you'll get five. And I always recommend, listen, talk to two or three people out of those. Don't just pick someone. And uh, we certainly yeah, help clients kind of vet that out.
0: I was yeah. laughing when you said that some people interview. Well, that used to be my saying when I, I was in the corporate world, when I, I ran big divisions of companies, I was usually like senior director of operations type of roles or senior director of IT type of roles. Sometimes I've had as many, as like almost 200 employees. But when I go to HR and they're like, you only had him here for two weeks. Why did you fire him already? They got to where I just, because all I would respond, was like, well, he interviewed well. Okay, well, what does that mean? Like he couldn't live up to his interview. And you can, it's better to get rid of somebody pretty quickly when you know they're not going to work out right. Yeah. Same way all with right. this. I had a guy who called and he said, hey, I wish I'd have went to you or somebody else and got a referral for an attorney. The attorney I have is not working out. I go, like, oh, mm-hmm. come tell him he's done. Well, I retained him. I paid him this. And I'm like, okay, tell him he's done. He'll have to return anytime. Any other retainer he hasn't utilized his hours for. Well, I'm worried he won't give him the money back. I probably should continue. Like, no, if he's not working out, he's going to make a mess out of this. Please tell him he's done. You know, we call him and tell him he's done. So a lot of people have that that fear of like pulling the plug on somebody that's not working.
1: Yeah. And I think when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I, I certainly had that. Yeah. I kept on to people too long, kept contractors too long. And it takes some time, some at-bats to kind of figure out, okay, hire quickly, but also move uh, on.
0: I'm way over budget <laughs> on the studio I'm in right now because I didn't let the guy go. I mean, like, he kept going over budget <laughs> over time, but he had legitimate reasons. And the like, next thing I know, we're $3,000 over budget on a project that's only supposed to be 10 k 11 k It's like, okay, we're a third over budget, brother. It's time to pull the plug here. That's the same thing with a lot of these guys, too. If you're out there and you're toiling about firing somebody, they know they're skating by. Most people just know. They're just, they're showing up every day to collect a check. They know their numbers or their days are numbered. They know they're on borrowed time.
1: Yeah, it's just whether they care or not. That's the difference. Like, it's one thing knowing, but it's another thing to. Well,
0: that's the thing with mediocre, especially professional services, contractors, attorneys and stuff like that. They know they're mediocre, too. They've been fired before, most likely. You're not the first person to do this. So they're going to ride that check as far as they can. You're not doing them any favors and you're not doing yourself any favors. If everybody fired them the first indication that they were not doing their job or not doing their job well, they would either get better or find another profession. So how do you guys go about vetting? Like, do you have a process people go through if they want to be in your data? Like, say you're, I have a lot of brokers and lawyers and stuff that listen to the show. If somebody's like, man, I want to be in this database. How does that look? What's the process for getting vetted to be to gain referrals.
1: Yeah, we have a vetting process like everything. It's not perfect, mm-hmm. but it's worked pretty well. And first someone goes to our website, fills out an application. But then we kind of we have this face-to-face cool. interview where I really understand their background, what type of projects they've worked on, where the skill set truly is, what type of clients they have experience working with because we have a lot of people applying who maybe work with startups. Well, working with startups is very different than working with an individual who's buying a $2 million landscaping business and you have to communicate with a seller. That's a very different skill. And so he doesn't have
0: of, a cap table and all the other stuff. You're rattling right, like off right. terms and phrases they don't even <laughs> have, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we kind of try to get a sense of their their, their skill set, and kind of the right projects for them then we review past work so if someone is applying for technology due diligence mm-hmm. let me see what the deliverable looks like if you're applying for a quality of earnings let me see your past quality of earnings what does that look like what does the excel data book look like what does the pdf look like we do that mm-hmm. then we we ask to speak to one or two past clients whenever possible sometimes Due to NDAs and just the nature of the work, it's right. just not possible. There's nothing we can do about that. Then we do a basic online background check, just to make sure there's no red flags. We've had, it's actually happened twice already, quote unquote CPA apply to be in our network. And then when Ooh. we go take a look at their designation, it, well, it's been like revoked for some reason. And then we also have a one strike policy. So if there is a legitimate and Emphasis on legitimate (gasps) client complaint from a forest service provider uh, will remove them from the network. Um, And unfortunately, we've had to do that a couple of times, but a couple of times in two years and 400 projects, not too bad. Not every system is perfect. I'd be lying here if I said, yeah, it's bulletproof, but it's worked
0: well so far. So what is the, what's the most frequent thing you guys get asked for? Definitely financial due diligence.
1: So anything related to someone looking for a proof of cash
0: or just to verify the
1: financials or quality of earnings, that seems to be the biggest black hole for people. But it's Mm -hmm. also the area that it doesn't matter whether you're buying a SaaS or you're buying a landscaping business or an education company, you need financial due diligence of some kind. So that's what we see the most. Second, probably legal. So for M&A attorneys, I think there's a big gap. We get so many requests for M&A attorneys who know, whatever you want to call, it, lower middle market, lower market, Main Street, a lot of different names for it, but they right. have experience in that space and charge appropriately. <laughs> so I'd say those are the biggest two. Background checks, we get a good amount of requests. Market research. So if someone's buying Main Street business, landscaping company, uh, HVAC business, they want to understand what's the competition, what's the TAM. What are different competitor reviews? We have companies that do that. That's pretty popular.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, what should be what sh- should people be bringing in that they just all mostly miss, right? Like you've seen enough deals go through there. Like most people should actually have financial due diligence, a lawyer, and XYZ, and they just skip over on some of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, legal and financial is table stakes, and Mm -hmm. then I think it depends on the individual and on the business. Because I think it's a fair assumption to say that if you're buying a software business, you probably have some software background. So I think marketing is another is another big one. Understanding how the company is acquiring clients, what's the ad spend, what's the ROI. Because I think A, it's great due diligence. I think it'll lead to some insights. And they'll also tell you if there's some easy kind of quote unquote easy wins there, right? Are there things that you can tweak easily to get a higher kind of return on your ad spend? Because that's ultimately that's what drives most businesses. Can you put a dollar into the advertising machine and get a dollar fifty or hopefully four dollars back? <laughs>
0: I think that's one of the biggest ones I see. People are just missing out as doing due diligence is not collecting what have they done in the past as far as marketing works. Mm, wow. What are the results? Who's doing that for them? Right. Yep. A lot of times they're outsourcing, especially if they're doing online advertising. There's somebody else doing the AdSense and all the different analytics and stuff they need to know yep. to make that work. And you did your financial due diligence and you did your legal due diligence and you get in there, I actually, I won't call his name on the show, but I actually have a person I know who we were on the phone two weeks ago. And he's like, I bought this company. It was doing two and a half million dollars a year. I paid X dollars for it. And I have no idea how they get their clients. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't have any idea to get clients and the owner's not responding to anymore because he bought the guy out. He has a business in that industry, but the stuff he's using in the other market, he's in another market. 120 miles away, and the stuff he's doing in that market doesn't seem to be working as well. And he's like, "What was he doing?" That's the big worry
1: is right. that you don't catch that. That it's all,
0: it's all the seller kind of bringing in the clients.
1: And once you remove that, well, your business goes to zero.
0: <laughs> yeah. First thing I told him is go back to your finances and see who he's writing checks to, and see if you can see yeah. it looks like a marketing agency or a contractor of some sort. Because I was able to dig around a little bit and see that there used to be some online ads in his Mm face you know for that so he might have been online it looks like he was online but uh, i think the owner went on vacation will be back in a few weeks but he's going to sweat it out until the guy gets back to calling him (laughs) it's not like it's dropping fast but he's dropping it's not growing the way he wants it to grow and it's not maintaining it so he turned something off on accident he didn't know he turned off So what he did what i think i think he failed to stroke a check to somebody you need to stroke a check to
1: yeah i think something like this should be picked up also in like operations due diligence again it's a broad term but i think marketing is
0: part of that functions figure out who does what services, tax advisory and even fully outsourced accounting, Reconciled has got you covered. They help you make the best business decisions keeping your end goal in mind. And the best part, Reconciled understands acquisitions. If they have acquired 3 accounting firms in the past 3 years, and their founder Michael Lee mentors others in searching for acquisition, raising capital or trying to aggressively scale. Reconcile invoices your clients, pays your bills, and delivers clear and accurate financial reports every month automatically. Ready to streamline your financials and prepare your business for the next big step? Visit Reconcile.com today and let them get your books in order. Reconciled, making bookkeeping a breeze. That's Reconcile.com. The other thing is like looking at, a lot of people don't do that. I like taking a work chart and figure out a, a generic work chart that like every business should have X, Y, and Z. So who's right. doing your sales? Who's doing your marketing? Who's doing the legal, who's doing the finances, who's doing the, yeah. uh, the leadership, right? The CEO or general manager. And then looking at the payroll and figuring out if you can pair that up with their org chart. Because yeah. somebody's doing those roles. I often find that the wife, especially small companies, a million dollars or left. The wife has a role there that they haven't told me about. So one of my favorite questions right. is, what does your wife do? And they're like, well, she's a, she owns this or she does that. Like, cool. What does she do for your company? Well, she comes in and does the books, oh, can I talk to her? I'd like to see how many hours <laughs> that takes. You didn't put that on. You didn't put that on the uh, the financials, but uh, you find out she's pulling her job, she's running her own business, and she's pulling twenty, thirty hours a week, getting his finances straight.
1: Yeah, listen, I think that's why the work that Elliot does and a mm-hmm.
0: lot of of E providers do is so important. So, uh, what's next for the Are you guys have uh, plans for expanding into other spaces, or continuing to grow the space you're in? What's the?
1: Uh, yeah, I think we're still relatively young so i launched Delio two years ago i think the first year you kind of try to figure out does anyone actually need the stuff i think we're figured out that people need it then you try to figure out okay well how do i spread the word how do i scale it how do i automate it i think that's kind of where we are i think there's a lot of opportunity in the space i think i'm sure a lot of your guests uh, probably mentioned this we're probably like first or second inning of the game I'm just seeing I mean, the activity continue to pick
0: up. Yeah, it's uh, getting um, more popular and more popular. It's a right. little scary though. So in the real estate world, which I came from, well, I used to warn everybody like you got to quit teaching advanced strategies to beginners because what happens is I always used to say they're one senator's son or daughter away from passing a law not to allow it. So one of the beginner strategies that they let people would get involved in was what was called wholesaling. And the problem is like a lot of these guys don't have money to get the deal done. They're finding deals, negotiating, them and trying to sell them to somebody else. And there's people doing that in this space. And you're one per, you hurt one Senator, someone, <laughs> Senator's daughter financially or emotionally or anything, cause you didn't get the deal done. And all of a sudden there's a state law that says you can't do it without a license. So it's the same thing in this. I think the more people that get into it, I get. Constantly have people that show up to the business networking things I host and everything else, and like other oh, acquisition entrepreneurs. Great. So, what have you owned? What have you built in the past? Well, I've been an employee all my life. That's my first one. I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you a general manager? You have management experience? Nope. Never managed a soul in my life. I'm like, I'm saying there's a reason why search, like everybody's like, well, there's search funders doing this straight out of college. Like, yeah. If you know how search funds really work, you're like, what yeah. do you mean? I said, well, usually what's going on is that they're funded through other advisories, past search funders and the search takes one to two, three years. And there's some training that goes along with it. If you I've interviewed a few of these guys who fund searches, they don't want the guy to buy a business in the first six months because he's not CEO ready. They want to mentor them and grow them and train them and spend time with them and build leadership and build some tough skin from negotiating deals and before they're ready to be that CEO. And uh, you don't get that if you think you're gonna jump in this space and go from flipping burgers and McDonald's and buying a $2 million company and running yourself, there's some skill here, right? Well, I'll just put a general operator in like, okay, you need to buy a bigger company because when you're right. I'm going to buy a $300,000 a year business and have somebody else operate, yeah. don't play that way. Yeah.
1: And you have to know how to manage them too. You put an operator, well, now what? But it's great to see the education. Mm-hmm. That's being introduced in the space. I think everything from MBA programs are focusing on it, Walker's acquisition lab, Cody's eventual acquisition, and so on. I think there's, there's probably others. It's great to see the ecosystem
0: grow. Yeah. Some of those actually prepare you. Like Walker is probably the best one to prepare you to be an operator. He's fairly thorough, yeah. understanding your own skill set and stuff. A lot of these guys, like I've seen Carl Allen's, Roland Frazier, mm-hmm. Jeremy Harper, I've seen them all. And most of them kind of expect you're an operator ready to go and you just don't know how to do acquisitions and mergers they don't give you the i say that rolling gives you so many videos I bet the fundamentals are in there same way with Jeremy you get sixty or eighty videos before day one of class so if you want to sit there and watch hours and hours of videos, you could learn through visual learning and listen, <laughs> but you won't have the hands on experience that I think it's required Let's go back into this like what do the deal flow look like right now inside of i mean People coming to you, they're getting done. Is it just as much as last year? 2023 looking like 2022. I know it's hard to tell because your marketing is growing. So you, as you get better at marketing, it looks like there's more deals going on. 100%. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I was looking at these numbers the other day. And so I think we're relative to last year, we're probably up maybe 15, 20% in terms of the deal flow we're seeing. But certainly saw a dip once interest rates started going up. We saw a little bit of a dip. I think there was a little hesitation, still a little bit of price discovery, if you will, between buyers and sellers. To some extent, I think that's still going on. But over the last like two months, I'd say deal flow has definitely picked up. I'm seeing more broken deals than last year. So yeah. even though volume is the same, but more once you get into diligence, the deal falls apart for one reason or another. So that, that's definitely picked up.
0: I know that all the people I've interviewed, I know that the private equity guys are being a lot more selective. They're being more interested in things that I'll call the current economic status as uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody knows if it's almost over, we're just getting started or whatever, but we're definitely in a state of financial uncertainty that said the big guys are looking at things that do well during uncertain times. So they're looking at everything yep. from anything that, like the love passions, right? Health, pets, <laughs> pet health, things that we're going to do, whether the economy is good or bad, right? Veterinarian yep. services, dental roll-ups, all those are hot. The current thing, other thing that's still hot is like leading technology, like AI type of stuff still burning up.
1: Yeah, I think strategics, I think that they're pretty active. I don't deal with too many of those, but just talking to others in the ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, strategics are pretty uh, pretty active in this space.
0: Well, they have a higher tolerance, right? They don't need you to be a good operator. They don't need to hire a good right. operator. They just want exactly. your customer list and your product and your IP, your intellectual property. The reason I think a lot of these deals are going to bust is, one... Deals just have to be better now. Like the cost of money is a lot more expensive. A year and a half, two years ago, you could get into a deal and go, it's good enough. I can turn this around. I can do better than the last guy. And now with the money being so expensive and your debt coverage being there, you have to really look at going, hey, this thing's a really solid business. And it's not, not that I can fix it. It's mine to screw up. Because that's what you're looking yeah. for. He's like looking for something that even if I run this 90% as good as the last guy, it covers yeah. the debt. It's not going to be in trouble. I've seen the spreadsheets change. I've seen people that are doing deal analysis spreadsheets last year, the year before, and they didn't have a thing in there for down economy where they're like, okay, can you do debt service at 60%? 60% of your current profit or revenue, can you still service debt? People are building in that stuff. And some of them tear it off after a few years, they'll do like 60% of the first year, like 75% the second year. And they look like they're like, okay, we're pretty safe by third year three. But uh, they're building in things into their math models I'd never seen before. <laughs> so tell me about uh, like just the process that... So we talked about somebody coming in as a advisor. If I'm coming in as I've got a deal, I think it's good. I just signed the LOI. I just fill out a form with you guys and tell you what I want. Do you guys give me just what I want? Or you go, hey, by the way, you probably should look at these type of things. You guys look at the deal and...
1: Yeah, I mean, we kind of try to tailor our services to the client. A lot of clients even come to us before an LOI and they're Mm -hmm. just saying, Hey, I'm trying to build my deal team. How much should I budget for Mm -hmm. due diligence? Or, Hey, I'm buying an e-commerce business. What type of due diligence do I need? What's available? Mm -hmm. So we kind of help them figure that out. But typically the work really starts after they have submitted and accepted LOI. So they would go to the website. And click a hey, new project. They would tell us about their transaction. So, tell us, hey, it's a manufacturing business, $3 million revenue, so on. They would tell us about the type of services they need. So, they'll say, hey, I need an M&A attorney. I also need three background checks. I need someone to take a look at the logistics due diligence, marketing due diligence, so on. And then we'll ask some pretty specific questions. Which is one of the reasons that we suggest starting working with us after the LOI, because if someone wants a quality of earnings report, we'll ask them, okay, well, how many business accounts are there, checking accounts? Does the business use cash or accrual accounting? Does the business use QuickBooks or Xero? So we'll ask some pretty detailed questions depending on what they need. The reason we do this is because we have to provide enough information to the service providers for them to write an accurate proposal. Because with this process, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? It's like calling a painter. Hey, I need a house painted. Okay, well how many rooms how many windows how's the square foot yeah so we try to get as much information as possible Mm -hmm. to provide to the service providers for them to write an accurate proposal because that's the whole point here otherwise it doesn't doesn't help anyone so the client will fill out that questionnaire takes maybe five five minutes click submit we get it we look it over we'll email the client saying hey we got the questionnaire This is our understanding of the project and what you're looking for. Does this make sense? Uh, Do you agree with this? So just to make sure that what they said in the questionnaire lines up with what we probably 80% of the time it doesn't. (laughs) So we try to kind of massage that a little bit. Uh After the project is confirmed, we will match the parameters of the project against our database of service providers. We do that based on the type of project and the budget. Because we have independent professionals, we have boutique firms, we have mid-sized firms. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the costs are going to be different. Independent professionals typically are going to be a little bit cheaper. Mid-sized firms are going to be more expensive. So depending on the budget and what's required, one service provider may be more appropriate than another. So we'll kind of match those up and we'll send the project over to them so they can write a proposal. And a proposal is pretty simple proposal is just one or two paragraphs background about them relevant experience proposed deliverable timeline and estimated fee about 2 days goes by we'll collect all those proposals organize them and send them to the client A typical project gets anywhere between 5 and 10 proposals that's generally what we aim for and the clients will look over the proposals they'll ask us some questions we try to be an impartial party in this as Mm -hmm. a marketplace, but of course, if they ask some specific questions, we're happy to answer that. And then the client will tell us who they would like to speak to Mm -hmm. and we'll make an introduction, email introduction to those service providers. So everything, the whole process takes about two business days. So it's Mm -hmm. all very quick, which is another reason why I recommend starting once you have an LOI in place, because a lot of people kind of try to do this month or two in advance. Yes. Before Delio. You would have to research who are the service providers that do this. Call each one and get a price here. Well, and vet them too, right? We've done all that. So the whole process, instead of taking weeks, just takes two days or less.
0: Okay. Now they've got the list of uh, people that you've, they reach out and they touch bases with them. What's the price points that you see right now? I know, I mean, where I'm at in the market, like, Financial due diligence can run anywhere from like the cheapest I've seen anybody willing to do basic financial due diligence was up above 10 K on average. I think I see about 25 K is where the like the normal thing is for your normal mama pop business. That's doing an SBA loan, $5 million yeah. purchase price. But uh, what are you seeing right now? Certainly lower. I would say it depends on what's needed,
1: whether you need, Hey, just someone to, line up the financials with the tax return Mm -hmm. and just make sure there's no red flags, or if you need a light scope quality of earnings, full scope, do you need a data book? Do you need a PDF presentation? And how those things look. But if we go from the very basic, hey, here's a two, three million dollar business, QuickBooks, one bank account, I just want to make sure there's no skeletons here. Yeah, something like that can be
0: between two and five K. I get websites done that way. Like I can get a website, full tech stack, crawl through mm-hmm. all that. And it's about 2 to 4K, 2 to 3K. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Code yeah.
1: review will be 2 to 4, 2 to 5. Yeah, if you're yeah. buying a tech. Then if you go one step further, if you need a proof of cash, something like that, generally 4 to 6. And then light scope quality of earnings, maybe 6 to 15, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then full scope would be maybe 13 to 25. That's generally what we see for financial due diligence, code review, like you mentioned, two to five background checks between $400 and $1,200 per subject, depending on how deep you want to go. But legal costs, harder to predict, but for basic transaction that's not in a regulated industry, just landscaping business, something like that, $2, 3000000 million deal, you're probably looking at 13 to 18 k That's what I've seen. Again, these are very broad. I, I hope listeners understand that it depends on the individual deal. But I think that's that's the beauty of our marketplace. We have, I should mention, we have domestic service providers, but then we also have providers overseas. If we have a lot of clients who are simply looking for someone to crunch the numbers and they really don't need that many insights, they just want someone to crunch the numbers just to highlight any. Discrepancies and something like that can certainly be done overseas for at a lower cost.
0: Anybody that can actually build the books, I've seen so many small yeah. businesses that all they have is tax returns and bank statements, mm-hmm. and they really don't have a QuickBooks. They really don't have their accounts receivable is an Excel spreadsheet. Their accounts payable is an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> it
1: costs a little bit.
0: <laughs> so, what's the craziest thing? So now, it's story time, man. What's the craziest thing you've ever had to do, work with, and help somebody do?
1: Oh man. The craziest, we had one, not a client, I don't think they went through the transaction, but the kind of the
0: craziest business I think I saw
1: was someone trying to buy an Eastern European grocery store in New York. And they were, the buyer was American and they're telling me about this business, how they get the products from various, from Russia, from Ukraine and at least the places we have embargoes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of I kind of understand the market a little bit. I'm like, listen, like, why, like, why do you want to get involved with that? And the person, I think the person's background was I think also real estate. Listen, like, it, he's telling me about these kind of payments that are not on the books. Yeah, like, listen, like well, this doesn't sound like something you, you really want to be involved
0: with. I've seen it. I've seen that we were doing a walkthrough of a business one day. And I count employees when I'm walking around for some reason. I'm just a nerd yeah. like that. And when we finally got to look at his stuff, I was like, I, your number's off. This is why. It's like, I've been there three times. And every time I've seen at least three more people than you say is on your staff. And, uh, oh, those are contract laborers, the guys that come in here. And it's like, well, where are they on your payroll? I pay them out of the cash register every day. I was like, okay, where do you show that in your finances? Oh, I don't. I just, you don't see the cash that day. Like he just, at the end of the day, he just counts the cash register. Like he doesn't look at his receipts. Like, you know, what he's paying out on that register, whatever's in the cash is the the intake. That's what he sold for the day. And I'm like, and he had invoices for the projects done or whatever, you know, because they did service work, install work, and they sold some stuff. But uh, yeah, I was like, no, that's not how that's done.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. We had one client a deal just fell through in the diligence, it was a healthcare business where mm. they discovered that 20% of the revenue was coming from an illegal kind of healthcare referral scheme. <laughs> I don't know, $5 million transaction, something like that. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, because we don't do the actual diligence, I probably don't have as many of these good stories as I'd like.
0: <laughs> but I'm sure you get people submitting stuff to you. You're like, yeah, I don't know anybody's going to do that for you.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of overseas stuff where someone's looking for, I think once we had looking for a cybersecurity consultant, but has to speak German. Those are hard for us. We're actually able to find someone for them, but it's not not the easiest project.
0: So you do domestic and international, mostly English-speaking international, but you've had some cool projects that are not. So tell us about the newsletter real quick, because I want people to, I know that we're here talking about dealio deal today, yeah. man, you got one heck of a newsletter, and you put out <laughs> some good content, and you, can, you could even do deal reviews. It comes out twice a week, right? And it comes out twice them, a week, yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. On Tuesdays and Fridays, I'm thinking of expanding it, but right now it's just twice a week. On Tuesdays, every week I just go through broker websites and mm-hmm. see if anything catches my eye. And usually highlight three to five interesting deals in the Tuesday newsletter, provide for each one just high-level analysis, what I like, what I don't like, some of the due diligence questions I would ask, easy growth levers. For me, it's a good creative kind of outlet. It keeps the brain sharp. And on the Friday newsletter, it's a curated kind of collection of articles, Twitter threads from that week. It's fun.
0: Yeah, cool. So, what is the we're getting close to the end here? What are some cool things that people need to know about you and the companies you have? What's behind it? I mean, like, why be in this particular business? Do you have a service mindset?
1: Yeah, certainly a service mindset. I love talking to the clients. Uh, I love talking to the person who maybe leaving a corporate job or coming out of the MBA and wants to take over a business. I find it inspiring myself, and just like being part of the ecosystem. I think it's growing, especially over the last couple of years. And from a business perspective, I also think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity to help people. So I think for me, that's really what it's what it's all about. I think being part of a good community, having clients you actually enjoy working with, and trying to offer some value.
0: Awesome. So if somebody could remember one or two things from today's show, what would you want them to remember about? What you talked about today. What do you want me to remember about Dudilio and what you guys? Yeah, do? listen,
1: if you're just starting out, first subscribe to the newsletter, The Business Acquired. It's on Substack. Free to subscribe. Dudilio, if you need any kind of help, even if you're just starting out and you don't know where to start, <laughs> reach out, say hello, email saying, hey, this is the business I'm looking at. Well, what type of diligence would you suggest? How much is this going to cost me? I've been doing this for a couple of years. So just like, my Rolodex is probably infinitely smaller than yours, but if anyone just wants to get connected to educational resources or things like that, we have a lot of templates on the website.
0: Reach out. So I'd say don't be shy. Awesome. If somebody wants to chat with you or uh, put you on their show or something, is there a good way for people to reach out to you? Uh, I see you on LinkedIn. Yeah,
1: LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Look up my name. You can Google my name, roman at is a good email to reach me or just reach me through the website so yeah I'm, i think i'm pretty easy to find cool <laughs> well is there anything else
0: you'd like to add or if not we'll call that a show
1: no i think we're good yeah no this has been great i really appreciate you having me on and thank you for everything you do for the community i think it's great
0: awesome well I'll hang out for a second after this and we'll call that a show Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created five billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between five million and 30 million who are ready to be sold, and M&A to decision makers who are ready to buy.